nine months, and uh, just good. You might understand when I say it's good to be together as a family and to worship the Lord. Open up your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, there's a lot of sicknesses we get. As a matter of fact, I've heard this morning about somebody told me they're this kind of sick or that kind of sick. And, you know, stomach flu, that's pretty, pretty nasty. You know, fever, all that kind of stuff. You know, pneumonia, that's all, that's all, that's bad things. But, you know, there's nothing like a sickness called homesickness. You ever get this? You ever off somewhere and you just feel this homesickness? I've been there on many occasions in my life. And the thing about homesickness is so hard is there's really nothing wrong with you. You know, you got the stomach flu, it's clear there's something wrong. If you don't believe me, just hang around for 30 minutes and you'll find out, right? But with homesickness, there's nothing wrong. There's no, there's no real illness that I have. There's, there's no treatment. There's no way to measure it. There's, there's, there's nothing like that. But when you have it... When you feel it, you know it. I've shared with you guys before, my wife and I were married in 1990, okay? So do the math, like I have to do every time I mention how long I've been married, 27 years, okay? In 1990, we were married in February, mid-February, the 1st of March, I left for basic training. So we had two weeks of marriage, and then I was gone for six months. And man, I wasn't homesick, I was Nancy sick, you know? I was missing her bad. And I can remember the, I can really remember the feeling of longing to be with my wife. You know, when you're real busy, when you're real, real busy, homesickness kind of goes away, right? We can get distracted from this feeling that I want to be where I belong. We can get distracted from it. So, you know, in the midst of the hard moments of, of my training, the, the homesickness would go away. But it got a whole lot worse the farther I got because I had more freedom. And with freedom came what? Downtime and boredom. And I can remember there was this spot, this tree, that I would go out and sit underneath and I had my Walkman. Does that sound familiar? With the cassette, okay, and the headphones. And I, w- I would put that thing on and I would listen to Chicago. You know that group, anybody? Okay, yeah, yeah, and REO Speedwagon. Yeah, I remember these. Okay, I had some of these. And U2, all this new band, yeah. And I would sit there on that lonely hill where there is no distraction. There is nothing to take my eyes away from what I was longing for. And at those times, the homesickness grew so great that I I could hardly deal with it. I don't know about you, but I am homesick for God. I am homesick for heaven. I, I, I love my life, okay? It's great. I enjoy it. I enjoy my family. I enjoy being here with you. I enjoy doing the things that I get to do in life. They're great. But the older I get, I'm 46 now, going to be 47 soon. And the older I get, the more I recognize that I am longing more and more and more for the place I belong. I was not made for this world. I was not made for here. This place has been cursed by sin. And so that, that effect is wide-reaching. And I no longer fit here. 
And, and I see other people around me who do, who fit here kind of nicely. But I'm like that one shape in that little sorter that you had when you were three years old that doesn't quite fit. You know that triangle, it doesn't go into that circle hole, and I can jam it as hard as I want to, but it just don't fit. That's how I feel. That's how I feel at times. And the more I'm in this world, and the, the more I kind of grow in maturity, not just in my age, but even in my intimacy with Christ, the more I grow in my maturity, the groaning is greater. Romans 8. You should write this reference down and look at it. Romans 8, about verse 23 or so. It speaks that as we as believers live in this world, as we live in this world, that we groan, we groan longing to be out of it. Longing for the completion it says, not only the creation groans, but we ourselves, this is 8.23 in Romans, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So those of us who have the Spirit of God indwelling in us, when He is in us, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons. And in case you have any, any misconception of what he means, Paul says the very redemption of our bodies. It is right and righteous and by design that you are longing for what you belong to Jesus Christ. Do not be surprised at the tribulation and the trials in this world, Jesus said. Don't be surprised. You're going to experience that. I find it interesting that believers get so shocked that the world doesn't like God. Really? Have you ever read the Bible? The, the world is opposed to God. And we're placed here as reconcilers, as people who are here as ambassadors. And our job, our mission, is to be pointing people to Jesus. But while we point... While we point, we do feel a longing for Christ. You know, this long, I want to just throw this up on the screen. Just, this is just an idea, because we're going, to, we're going to read Ephesians 2 in just a minute here. Um, go to my next slide for me, please. You know, this longing and this, this desire for, for us to be, to be together, finally following after Christ. You see, we're in a world where, where much of it is opposed to the Lord. And that doesn't feel right, so we groan. Listen, Jesus spoke of this. He said that we, as believers, we are longing to be all together now, chasing after Jesus. And we'll take the time to look at the references, but in John 17, he speaks of this. That Jesus understands this longing to be united. I say, finally, finally, we're chasing after God together finally made alive together and chasing after him. I told you to turn to Ephesians 2. I want you to see that this is, this is what Paul is writing about now. In Ephesians chapter 2. Go with me, please. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. We've done chapter 1. We've done chapter 2. And it, it, good stuff for us. Good stuff for us. But I want you to start out at verse number 5. Notice here what Paul says. 2.5 of Ephesians says... Even when we were dead in our trespasses. And we've, we've got a lot of, we spent a lot of time talking about what that means. A corpse on the ground. That's what a dead thing is. 
It doesn't respond. Even when we're dead in our trespasses, he says, the Holy Spirit here moved Paul to write, God made us alive together with Christ. You see, the world is populated by dead corpses. Now, they're walking dead. They aren't laying on the ground. They're walking around. They do respond. They do respond just like you did before Christ. You responded. You responded to Satan. You responded to the passion of the flesh. And you responded to the thoughts of this world. Ephesians 2 talks about that. You did respond. But dead people do not respond to God. They do not respond to God. But 2.5 says that the Spirit of God did a supernatural thing and made us alive together. Oh, that's, that's good truth. Go down a little further in the passage to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse number 20. I want you to see this. Ephesians 2, verses 20. It says that Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So all this builds upon him. He is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Here's my point. Here's my point. We are longing, and as we're on this earth, we are longing to be reconciled with God. Longing to be reconciled with God. And we long together now. We long together to be reconciled with God. And where I want to head today as as we prepare to celebrate what Jesus did. To celebrate communion. Where I want to head today is this. That as you and I long to be reconciled. And we are moving towards finally experiencing this alive nature that we have and will have with God. I want to call us to take people with us. To bring people with us. To be an ambassador, a reconciler, that you bring people with you to be united with Christ together forever. We're not on a solo trip. This is not just you driving towards heaven. That's not what this is. We are meant to be bringing with us people, worshipers, who are also longing to be reconciled. We're going to look at verses 11 through number 18, 19 or so. Let me read it and then we'll flesh it out and understand what it means. Listen, I'll tell you, you got to pay attention today. Okay? You got to pay attention. You're going to to use some terms and some things that I can lose you, okay? These ancient words can be confusing. So you you listen up today, and let's, let's hear what God has to say to us. Verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Key phrase coming up here. Key phrase. Having no hope and without God in the world. Just pause. That's you and me before Jesus. That's every person you know that's outside of Christ. 
That is you, that if you got saved at, at 65 years old, that was you, without hope and without God. If you got saved at three years of age, that was you, without hope and without God. That was every one of us. That is every person outside of Christ. They are without hope and without God. Remember this, Paul says. Remember that it was you. Don't forget it. Remember it. Let me just say this, because I won't have time to delve into this later. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, packed full of information. 1, 2, and 3. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Packed full of doctrine. And in all those words, and in all those verses, you are only commanded, as a reader of Ephesians, you are only commanded to do one thing in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That's it. There's only one thing you're told to do. You can read chapters 1, 2, and 3 and say, get up, you know, you can get up off your couch and you can say, God, I'm going to do whatever you told me to do. And he only told you to do one thing in chapters 1, 2, and 3. You know what it is? Remember who you were. That's it. We just read it. That's the only command in chapters 1, 2, and 3. You remember that you were without hope and without God. It is pretty important for God, for us that is, to remember who we were. Why might that be? Think about it. Why might it be that God is going to all this effort to remind us to remember something? Could it be? That God's trying to soften our heart to remember back to who we were? Let's keep going. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself one in himself that is one new man in place of two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both now have access in the one Spirit to the Father. I want to start out at the beginning, verse number 11, and I want to just talk about just briefly the results of the broken human condition. The results of the broken human condition in verse number 11. Let me read it. Just been a while. Let me read it for review. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. Here's what we're driving at. The broken human condition shows itself in hostility that we have towards other people. You can see the broken human condition and how we treat one another. What Paul is saying is, if you've got any question of the lostness of, of humans, look at how you treat one another. 
Look at what you do to one another. And what he brings up, like, is the, the test case. He brings up before us this test case of the circumcision and the uncircumcision. Now, this is a medical procedure, and I'm not going to go into too much detail about it right now, but let me just say, this is, a, this is at this time when this is written, what this really is, this is a derogatory term that one racial group is using towards another. We have an expression of racism right there in verse number 11. Remember David and Goliath? Remember that? Five stone sling, giant. Ping, and he dies. Remember what David said? Remember what he said? See, David wasn't a perfect guy. And David, at that moment, used a racial slur against Goliath. Yeah. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that stands before me? This is the derogatory term that the Jewish people, over, their, over the time of their existence, developed for those who were not Jewish. And folks, this kind of hatred and strife and discord between people angers and hurts the heart of God. It is not the heart of God. And so here he's saying, remember that you one time, you were separated from the truth that God had intended to bring to the world. Let's just take a minute and talk about this. We need to talk about this because I think this is something that a lot of Christians misunderstand, and that's the Jewish people. What was this about? Why did God have this special select group of people that he chose and said, you are my people? You ever wonder about that? Well, Deuteronomy 6 and Amos chapter 3 and, and Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 19 and many other passages make something very, very clear. There was nothing special about the Jewish people. There was nothing special about the Jewish people. The only thing special about them is that God chose them and said, through you, I want to do what? Bless the world. Through you, I want to bless the world. So here was God's plan. God would take this group of people, the Jewish people, and he would use them to bring truth to the world. The intention was that God would bring his word to the Jewish people and they would then dispense that to everyone. The intent was that God, through the Jewish people, would send his Messiah and all the world be blessed through him. Now, if you don't believe me, or if, you, if, you, if you've never really thought about that, I want you to turn your Bible to a place, Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. I want you to see what God's intent was for his, his, his select covenant people, what he wanted them to do. You see, when God chooses somebody, he does it not because of anything special in them. God doesn't choose people because they're special. God chooses people by His grace and then uses them to accomplish His special plan. Now you better be warned. Be warned. As we read about what the Jewish people were meant to do and think about what they didn't do, know this. 
The boomerang's coming back to hit us right square in the head. Some of you know what I mean. It's coming back to hit us. Okay, so Isaiah 42, look, look what it says. I am the Lord, God says. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Do you see what God's plan was? He would take these special people that he, made, he chose them and made them special. And he said, I'm going to use you to bring light to the world. And what did they do? Remember Jonah? God said, Jonah. Come here, buddy. Come here. I chose you. And you know me. I'm paraphrasing for God, okay? But you know me, God says, when I choose you, I don't choose you because you're special. I choose you because I got a special mission for you. Jonah says, okay. What is it, God? What is it? You go to the Ninevites and you tell them about me. What's Jonah say? No, God. No. Because I know how you are, God. I know how you work. If I take you to them, they'll turn to you. They'll turn to you and then they won't burn in hell. And I don't want that because they're the uncircumcised. No, God, I don't want to do this because it'll work. It'll work. Your grace will work, and they'll turn to you. No, God, I'm not doing it. None of us that way, and I'm going this way. And what did God do? He picked him up with a fish and dropped him off and did exactly what Jonah predicted. You see, here's what the Jewish people did. Listen, listen, this is so important because the boomerang's been thrown. It's out there spinning above the Jewish people. And we're like, how dare them? How dare Jonah not take the gospel to the Ninevites? What a wicked man he was. So here's what God did. He said, it's out there spinning now, okay? It's out there spinning. He said, you won't, you won't take me as a light to the Gentiles? You won't take me as a light to the Gentiles? God says, Okay. That's fine. That's fine. I'll take you, the Jewish nation, and I'll pick you up, and I'll set you over here. I'll be back with you. For right now, I'm going to use the church. I'm going to use the uncircumcised. I'm going to use the Gentile. And they'll tell the world about Jesus. They'll tell the world about my character. So now the boomerang's coming back, okay? And now, here we are, and we've been chosen. God has chosen to make us alive. And he says, take my message to the world. Now, what's God do with those who say no? 
What's God do with those that say, nah, I don't want to do that? He says, fine. I'll put you aside. And now find another. I want the other to be me. I want the other to be you. I want the other to be us. Finally alive together. And what do alive people do? Well, let's move on. First of all, they remember their alienation. They remember what it was. You see, there was a time when the boomerang was over there, but now it's come to us. And so now we remember who we were. It's important for us to remember our state before Christ opened up your blind, dead eyes. So here's what he says in verse number 12. Remember you were at that time separated from Christ. There was a time, he says to these Gentile people, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Now what is that? That is the only information that they had about God. All they had about God was the commonwealth of Israel and what is going to be explained. The covenants of the promise and so forth. That's all they had. But these Gentile people were separated from that. There was a wall that they could not see truth. There was no truth coming to them. Oh, the intention was that God's people, one of them named Jonah, would climb over that wall. Like a Navy SEAL now bringing, coming into this enemy territory, bringing the message. But they didn't do that. They stayed planted over here in the safety of their homes. So he says, remember, you were separated. He uses all these terms. Just, just take your eyes down the page and look at the terms for what used to be the case. In, in the Gentile community and individually in individuals' lives. This is not just some big term for people who don't know God. This is you and me. This is the guy that works next to you in the cubicle next to you. This is the lady in the classroom next to you. This is the neighbor right next to you. Hear what God says about many of them. Those that are outside of Christ. Uses terms like far off, divided, hostility, far off again, stranger from God, alienated from God. And verse number 12 says this having no hope. No hope. Before Jesus, you had no hope. What does it mean to be hopeless? What does it mean to be hopeless? It's, it's desperation is what it is. It's to be desperate. And I think in the context, what we can see here is that the desperation which was showing itself in the alienation that man feels from one another. Here's, here's the challenge. When you watch the news, which I know we all have to, right? Oh, it's depressing. I mean, there's literally people in the streets of our cities now protesting and causing violence now over political issues. Are you serious? 
And don't get high and mighty. Because it happens that regardless of the television news channel you watch, there are Fox News people that are doing it, and there are MSNBC people that are doing it. There are Republicans that are hateful. There are Democrats that are hateful. Don't be high and mighty and think I'm talking about them. I'm not. I'm talking about us. The hatred, the discord, the strife that sometimes comes out of Christians' mouths. And I'm telling you, the God of the universe can't believe that we are fighting for the right to be right and not sharing Jesus. How many of us in the last week, month, or six months have indeed posted on Facebook your political position? Boom. And you haven't said the word Jesus to a non-Christian for years. It ought not to be this way. That's adding bricks to the wall, folks. That's adding bricks to the wall. People are without hope. And they're running around trying to build structures that will bring them hope. Man-made systems, man-made plans that will fix them. Remember, education's not going to fix it. Programs aren't going to fix it. Money's not going to fix it. Policy's not going to fix it. The only fix is Jesus. Because the problem is sin. And not only verse number 12, not only are people having no hope, but they're also without God. Without God. The God of the universe has made himself available and there are people that are totally without him. And I, I wonder, how do they go through the heartaches that they go through? I've had a pretty simple life, folks. I've had it pretty easy. I've had it pretty easy through my days. I have. But even in all of the easy road that we have walked, my wife and I have looked at each other in those desperate moments with tears on our face and said... How do people make it who don't have God? They don't. They go out in the woods behind the house like happened at my house. And they put a shotgun in their mouth and they take their life. That's what they do. Without hope, without God. This is who we were. We must remember that the very best Christian you can imagine, who is it? Who is it? I mean, they are the stellar star, okay? They can quote verses and they can turn real quick to Bible passages, okay? I mean, they, you know, they are just perfect. I'm just making up silly things, okay? I'm not saying that makes a great Christian. You fill in the blank. Pick the best one, though. The best one. They're fully capable of the worst sin you can ever imagine. They are. And outside of Christ, you and I would be there. Outside of Jesus, it would be you holding that sign, saying, please give me food. 
Outside of Christ, it would be you that met Jesus at the, Samar- at the well in Samaria. That would be you. Okay, ladies? That would be you. Outside of Christ, guys, that would be you that walked into that porn store I talked about last week. That would be you outside of Christ. We've got to remember that. We must remember our, al- our alienation outside of Jesus. Let's move on, okay? So now where do we go? Verse number 14. For he himself, I'm sorry, verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man and place the two, so making peace. See, what, where God is going here, what he wants us to catch, is what the Lord has done. We remember our alienation, but now we're rejoicing in our reconciliation rejoicing in the fact that now God has made us one. He's made the Jew and the Gentile one in this body of Christ. He's made male and female now one in this body of Christ. He's made white and black now one in this body of Christ. He's made Republican and Democrat now one in this body of Christ. Because we've all been saved the same way. We've all been saved the same way. We've all received the same Spirit there is, no, there is no division among us. We've all been baptized in the one Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 13. And this has all placed us into one body. You see, we're all reconciled together. Immersed into one body. See this in verse number 14. He's reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Man, that's a strong term. That is a strong term. So there is no place for this hostility. There is no place for this division among us. There is no place for us to withhold hope. To withhold God from people. You know, we say this at Centerpoint Bible Church. We desire to see three things in the people of our church. You want to know what does, what does your leadership want to see happen in your life? I'll tell you what it is. I think I got it for a slide up on the screen. Here's what we want to see happen in your life. That you might have intimacy with Christ. That you would have intimacy with Jesus. And what's that mean? It means you know where you were. You know where you were. In the men's focus class, I I hope you're coming to a focus hour. In the men's focus group, we have three that are happening at 9.30 right now. But in the men's, what we're doing is, every week, we have a different man share his story. Share his story. Now, some are more comfortable talking in front of the group than others, okay? Some stories are, you know, just amazing to hear, and some are just like, you know, everyday stories like yours and mine. But every story has a couple truths. 
Before Jesus, I was a wreck. Maybe I was four, but I was on a path towards a wreck. Before Christ, wreck. Jesus came into my life and changed me. I'm not perfect. You can see I'm not perfect. But he's working on me. Folks, a person that's intimate with Christ, if you're maintaining intimacy with Christ, you know where you were. And you know what God is doing in your life. And you see that and you long for it. Secondly, we want to see you have community with others. What is it that brings community? What does this mean? What is it that binds us together? Is it because we're the same political party? No, we've already dealt with that. We watch the same news channel? No, we've already dealt with that. Same color? No, we've already dealt with that. We go to the same school? Nope, that isn't it. We're, we're all Steeler fans. No, no, that's not it. I've even seen Steeler and Raven fans get together in the church. That's a miracle. I've seen it. Now, I'm waiting on Redskin in Dallas, okay? Maybe someday in the future, but... See, the only thing that binds us together is the Spirit of God. That's it. You know what binded the Jewish people together? You know what it was? You know what it became? It wasn't God. It was their rules. It was their religion. It was the thing that they prized more than God. That's what bound them together. We follow the same rules. We do the same things. That's what bound them together. And God said, no. I am the binding factor. The only thing that binds you with believers that will last and will last for eternity is the Spirit of God. That's how we have community. And we want to see us have influence. We see you have influence in your world. In your world. You are Jonah now. And you know the truth. You ha- the truth meaning Jesus is the way and the truth. You know him. And so you bring him into your world. Verse number 11. Remember. Remember. Verse number 12. Remember. It's there. Verse number 14, he is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall. Paul's saying, remember it. Verse number 15, abolishing the law of commandments and the ordinances, remember it. He's saying, remember it. Verse number 16, the hostility that there was, remember it. Remember it. You were far off in verse number 17. You were far off. Remember it. Remember you were far off. Verse number 19. No longer strangers and aliens. Remember what it was to be alienated from God, to be a stranger to God. But, verse number 19, 
You are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember who you were and remember what Christ has done. How fitting that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, gathered his disciples together. Remember that night? There in the upper room? They're going to have a meal together. Before the meal... The bread is brought out. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. And then as he passed it out to his disciples, what did he say? Remember. Remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember who you were. Remember the alienation. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember you have been reconciled. Remember you have the message that the world needs. Remember. Remember. I'm cursed with a short memory. And so I have to come to God's word that I might remember all that he has done. We're going to celebrate that great act in just a few minutes, remembering what Jesus has done. Let me say a word about this before before we really move forward. There's nothing about communion that saves anybody. No. This is just a memory aid, is all this is. The only thing that saves a person is the finished work of Jesus at the cross. When he took the hostility that was mine and died for it. And when he did that, he reconciled all those who put their trust in him with God. So what we do when we celebrate communion is we take some bread. It's at the four corners of the room. You're going to find bread in just a minute. I'll say this. For those that have gluten allergies, we have gluten-free communion bread over here. You should work to that table. We'll take some bread and we'll, we'll eat that. And it's remembering the body of Christ. That we all receive what Jesus has done. And we'll take some juice. And we'll drink that. Because remember the shed blood of Christ. Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And in that blood, that represents the very life of Christ. And so the Bible speaks of him shedding his blood for us. That is him dying for us. So that all who receive that are given the right to be called children of God. You see, communion doesn't save anyone. But it reminds redeemed ones. Reminds them of what Jesus has done. So here's how we do it at center point. As the praise team go ahead and work their way up here, we're going to sing a song together. And what I want you to do when you're singing this song is I want you to reflect upon your relationship with Christ. The Bible warns that we do not go into this light, lightly. We are to evaluate ourselves to see if there's any sin in our life. Because we are really entering into a, a, a sacred event as we remember the work of Christ. And so you reflect over your life and you consider, is there something there between you and God? 
If there is, I urge you to confess it to him as sin. And if you cannot do that, if you refuse to repent before him, do not receive communion today. Do not. But better than that is, repent before the Lord for any sin that's there. And know that like a loving father, he wraps his arms around you and receives you as his. So we'll sing a song together. And I'll stand up and pray and then dismiss you to the corners to get some bread and some juice. Come back to your seat. We'll all partake together. Lead us.